Wayne, and I hope you turned your one page successfully. Uh, let me add my encouragement from yesterday uh, to all those that have already been shared. It was, um, it was just wonderful, and uh, it was uh, such a celebration of how God had been at work uh, through his people, and it made me think we should do this more often, just celebrate the great things that God uh, does and is doing. So it was a, it was a wonderful day. Uh, but let's turn to our passage, and why don't I pray as we, as we head into God's Word. Father God, Help us to understand your word to us now. Use it to change how we think, change how we live, and change how we love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what are our world's biggest, uh, most pressing global issues? Uh, According to the uh, World Economic Forum and the United Nations Foundation, uh, the most urgent global crises are things that need our uh, action and attention uh, well, these, these three are both in their top five. Uh, the cost of living crisis, food supply crisis, another humanitarian need, and the climate crisis. They say these are our biggest concerns. They need our focus, attention, and energy. Um, and, you know, th- these are huge things, right? These are undeniably uh, terrible things that need, uh, need something to be done about them. Uh, especially when you consider the real people that... Uh, are involved. These are some of the Ukrainian refugees lining up to get into Poland. And when you when you see these people and the effects of these kinds of issues on real people, uh, your heart is stirred, and you realise you, you can't just ignore them because their yeah their plight and their suffering cries out to us. And so when you're you know like when your kids go to school, when you turn on the TV, when your friends tell you about the good things they're doing, these are the kinds of things. Uh, on our minds. Uh, And there's pressure on the church to be on about the same kinds of things. Uh, But our passage today reminds us that there's actually something more important than all of these things, something which we we can't let go of, we we can't not do uh, or forsake in order to do these things, uh, and that is witnessing about Jesus, proclaiming salvation in God's King and the hope of the resurrection that we have in him. Because uh, these issues, they're so pressing, they are a crisis, um, but they will so easily crowd out our witnessing about Jesus. They will crowd out uh, the time and the resources that, that need to go into witnessing about Jesus. This is what we're seeing in these early chapters in Acts. Uh, there's internal and external pressure on us as individuals and as a, as a church... Uh, to put these things before witnessing about our great hope in Jesus. This whole, this whole section in Acts, it's uh, talking about these pressures. Uh, week after week, we've seen these pressures on the apostles to stop witnessing. And our sermon today, it brings up three, and so we'll go through them. I've got three sections that correspond to the three uh, sections in the passage. Firstly, uh, witnessing despite sentences in the slammer. Uh, because the first pressure to witness, uh, to stop witnessing, is imprisonment. The, the apostles, they're thrown in the slammer. Uh, why were they put in prison? Well, the motivation wasn't uh, truth, but in fact jealousy. Verse 17 uh, says the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They were jealous of the uh, apostles' popularity, it turns out. Immediately before uh, these verses, we're told of the apostles' Uh, doing healings and the adoring crowds coming and bringing their people to them 
uh, to be healed. And so verse 17 says, the high priest took action. It's, it's a, a term to say that he stepped into gear, something had to be done, uh, and in verse 18, the apostles are arrested. Uh, but in verse 19, it says, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night and brought them out. Look at that. Opened the doors, brought them out. The angel says uh, in verse 20, go back to the temple and continue witnessing. Go back as you were, soldiers. Just go right back to doing what you were doing when you were arrested. Continue proclaiming. Uh, Meanwhile, the Sanhedrin gathers, the court, believing that they're still in control of the situation. The full court convenes, the the full Senate of Israel, we are told. Uh, And the plan is to do something now decisively with this uprising. The full uh, force and weight of the court will be brought to bear on these followers of Jesus. And verse 21 says they, they sent orders to the jail to have them brought before the court. But the messenger returns to say, uh, we looked and they're not there. What do you mean they're not there? That they aren't where? They're not in the prison cell. The doors locked, the guards in the front, but they are not inside. Verse 24 says they were baffled. <laughs> well, you would be. So where are they? Where, 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 you need to imagine the court going, you know what I mean? If they're not in prison, where are they, you know? Uh, <laughs> verse 25, at that moment, a messenger reports saying they are again preaching in the temple where you had them arrested yesterday. These witnesses, they will not stop witnessing and the spirit of truth that they are witnessing about gives them boldness, we've seen that in past weeks, and also gives them the freedom now to proclaim. See, when God says to witness, he doesn't set us an impossible task. He makes it possible. He removes all the roadblocks. But fascinatingly, the the human court is not put off by any of this. Uh, They continue. They they send the the temple police, who this time ask very politely, uh, please come, if you wouldn't mind, to the court. Uh, And why this change of disposition? Do they fear God? No, we're told they feared the people, verse 26. They're afraid the people might stone them. Uh, and so very gently, they, they, they get the apostles, uh, and then eventually the apostles do stand before the Sanhedrin, the court, uh, and the court, unperturbed, unswayed, they repeat their order in verse 28. It says, uh, didn't we strictly order you not to preach in this name? And look, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching." And are, turned to, uh, and are determined to bring this man's blood on us. Stop it, they say. Stop going on about Jesus. Enough. Talk about something else. Talk about John or Moses or, or Buddha or Gandhi. Just, just not that name, not Jesus. Stop trying to pin his death on us, they say. The blood is not on our hands. Why do you keep bringing this up, they say. Just let it go. I mean, they had killed the Son of God. It was kind of a big deal. It's no wonder the apostles were not going to let it go. Uh, They say to the apostles, look what you've done. This name, this message has spread throughout Jerusalem. And the words, of course, are not lost on us because this was Jesus' commission, wasn't it? That the word was to spread to Jerusalem uh, and then go to uh, Judea, Samaria, and then all the rest. So despite the order of the court, the message has spread. The witnesses have witnessed. 
And Peter's defense is simply, in verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. We did hear you, court, he says. We heard you, but we must obey God rather than men. And the Sanhedrin, you can see uh, throughout this uh, passage, we're given clues and we're told the Sanhedrin, they are, they're afraid of men. They're afraid of the crowds. They were jealous of the crowds, uh, their love of the apostles. But the apostles, they had their eyes on God, not on men. Peter continues his defense uh, with with, I love this little wordplay in verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God raised him and you hung him. But God raised him to life again. God raised up a saviour, the Messiah. Verse 32, they add, We are witnesses of these things. Well, as you can imagine, the court didn't like hearing this. They didn't like their defence. Uh, I think they had, they had hoped to intimidate the apostles, hadn't they? Uh, and the reaction of the court is given in verse 33, saying, When they heard this, they were enraged. And wanted to kill them. And I, I think what we learn from Acts, it's pretty clear, isn't it? If, if you tell people that Jesus is king of all, is, is their Lord, they will want to shut you up. And if you keep reminding them, they will try whatever they can to stop you bringing it up. And, and, and then in addition to that, if the Spirit blesses your words with many uh, converts and a crowd gathers, people will become jealous and they will try even harder to shut you up. And we see this today uh, in our society, in our very city. Um, last week, uh, at a school here in Sydney, a group of Year 11 boys, uh, these boys, they're pretty cool guys, they're popular, they're pretty influential in school, uh, but they were told by their school principal that if they wanted to run a lunchtime Bible study group, they would need to sign a legal document agreeing not to evangelize to any of the other students. That's happening here in Sydney last week. The, the situation's ongoing. And what would you do if you were put in that situation? This is, it's not a hypothetical. People do not want us to proclaim Jesus. They've got their own gospel. Uh, you know, you can talk about other things. Talk about social inequality, the environment, health, awareness, um, sport, politics, food. You can pretty much talk about anything, just not Jesus. Uh, and the hypocrisy is that that very same school is absolutely militant about promoting their uh, wear it purple shirt day, if you're, if you're aware. Um, and it, it's promoting an ideology that's contrary to many of the world's largest religions, and yet they're almost forcing every student in their school to take part in this celebration of homosexual lifestyle. And so, I mean, uh, Christians in that school on, on the Wear It Purple Day, they pretty much have to pretend to be sick to not, uh, to not go. Uh, and so you can't say that the school just wants to avoid controversy, can you? Or that, that you know, they're not trying to promote an ideology. No, it's not that. They, they pick and choose, and they're very much against Jesus. Talk about anything, just not about Jesus being Lord and judge of all. And interestingly, you can see, uh, much like the authorities that the apostles faced, the authorities 
that we face are afraid of the crowds. They're afraid of the mob turning on them. And so they act. Acts teaches us that if you want to witness about Jesus, you will face opposition, uh, pressure, external pressure to stop. Uh, And when you face this pressure, you know that you must continue. Surely the inverse is true. If you aren't facing pressure, isn't it because you're not witnessing about Jesus? Wouldn't that be the right conclusion to draw? No pressure, no witnessing. Because the pressure, the persecution, it always seems to come in one form or another throughout, uh, throughout Scripture. We learn this throughout history. Uh, you may not be locked up physically, but if you witness about Jesus, in the very least you'll become a little bit weird. You'll be a bit odd, on the edge, uh, an outcast of sorts. Uh, not odd like I'm. I'm odd for other, not not me odd. I'm odd. I was homeschooled. There's a, there's a different problem there. You can't do anything about that. But I, I think it's surely it's inevitable that if you are proclaiming Jesus and you keep bringing him up, you are going to be marginalised. But if you are witnessing about Jesus, if you're doing it right, you'll face this kind of pressure. Uh, maybe you could say that's how you know that you're doing it right. Because the message about Jesus, it's so, it's so divisive. Uh, you either are for him or you're against him. There's no, there's no fence sitting. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew um, 10.34, he said, Don't assume I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And Acts teaches us that we will face opposition, but we must witness uh, despite, in this case, despite uh, prison, sentences in the slammer. Uh, the next section, we'll keep moving on. The next section we see uh, we need to keep witnessing despite scourging and shame. Uh, our passage continues the Sanhedrin, they've reached their limit and they want them killed. Uh, and just when this is probably about to happen, a Pharisee named Gamaliel steps in. Gamaliel, uh, he, he was popular with the crowds, he was respected by all, and a little side note, Acts 22 tells us that Gamaliel was the Apostle Paul's teacher, he was his rabbi um, before he was converted. So Gamaliel, he was a great rabbi, a great teacher of the scriptures, and he seems to say something very wise. He reasons, he says, Let, let's just see what happens, stop persecuting these apostles, Sanhedrin, let's just see if this is a work of God, if God is behind this. Uh, and, you know, he says other messengers came and other, other uprisings happened and, and they all fizzled away. They weren't a work of God. Let's just see what happens here. And you can see why he'd say that, you know, there were these healings. It seems very wise. Uh, and he seems to have found a way to uh, appease the mob and also honour God. So he says this to the Sanhedrin, leave them alone, 4 verse 39. Uh, he says... If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. And we are told, so they were persuaded by him. We don't want to go against God, he says, so let's just let them go. There, it pleases God and it pleases the crowd. What do you think? Uh, Well, the more you consider it, the more it stinks, I have to be honest. Gamaliel, he really does want to have his cake and eat it here too. The apostles, they've put forward an argument based on God's scripture that Jesus was the Messiah. And the Pharisees' job as, as, as teachers of the scripture was to weigh the argument, wasn't it? And to, to, to determine 
if Jesus was the Messiah, if this is how Jesus said he would act. Gamaliel doesn't do that, though. He ignores the argument from Scripture and decides he would honour God in his own way. Uh, you know, he ignores a few inconvenient verses uh, about the Messiah. Uh, and he says, let's just see what happens. Let's see how God is at work. And it, it's a crowd-pleasing proposal, but it couldn't possibly be pleasing to God. Gamaliel says uh, he, he's waiting on God, acting in accordance with God's will. But he's going against God, isn't he? He's going against what God has said. How uh, he, God told us how he was going to act. God has told us how to determine his will, what is from him and what is not. And it's not by waiting and watching. It's by reading his word. God has told us. And that was what Gamaliel needed to do. Gamaliel has his eyes on the people and the crowds, not on God. You can't appease God with a nod to Jesus and the church. That's what it feels like he's trying to do. You can't say, oh, it's, it's pretty interesting, churches and spirituality. I think religion is very important. We can't kind of try and offer that to God and think that he will accept that. No, everybody must consider the, the claims of the witnesses of Jesus. Is he the Lord and King and Savior of the world, or is he just some nice guy? Such a policy of appeasement can't work, uh, not on something this significant. You know, you can't care about everything all the time, but not when it comes to Jesus, it's, it's you're either for him or against him. You're either going to end up acting one way or another. Um, and here the Sanhedrin acts against God. So look at verse 40. Let's see how it unfolds. Verse 40, they called in the apostles, had them flogged, and they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. So they had them flogged. That, that's 40 lashes. Um, that's, you know, not to be graphic, that's having your back ripped open uh, as punishment, as intimidation. Well, how do you think God felt about that? His chosen apostles flogged. How's your policy of appeasement going now, Gamaliel? See, everyone will have to decide one way or another, for God or against him. And we can only guess how God felt in that moment. The flogging was administered. But we're told how the apostles felt. Uh, Now, don't miss it. Verse 41, it says, They went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be dishonored on behalf of the name. I love this verse. It it catches you as you're reading it. Like, what? They're rejoicing? They suffered scourging and shame, but they are rejoicing. Uh, For they know that they have not sat on the fence. They haven't played the crowd. They had eyes only for God. They faced the external pressures as top witnessing. They bore the dishonor and shame, sharing the very shame that Jesus shared. Uh, For cursed is any that is hung on a cross. That's how you know you're doing it right. You are dishonored and shamed for witnessing about Jesus. And when that happens, rejoice. So we need to change our attitude to uh, persecution here to be like that of the apostles, don't we? It's it's very easy to fear persecution, understandably, and yet we need to have the, the, the apostles' attitude. Rejoice when you are persecuted for witnessing about Jesus. There is a great prize here to be claimed, brothers and sisters, facing this pressure and witnessing despite it as being counted worthy to be dishonored. All right, our final section now. Uh, Witnessing despite social justice needs. 
So our first two passages kind of uh, saw these external pressures which prevented the witnessing or looked to prevent the witnessing. The final section raises up, it's more of an internal pressure to stop, uh, a kind of a distraction of seeking the good at the cost of the greatest. Uh, And this is one which can come from within the church, and it does at many churches. Uh, Thankfully not. Not so much ours. Let's let's see the account. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 1 says... In those days, as the number of apostles were multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Uh, And so the community would hand out food and resources to those in need within the community. Uh, And the widows here, of course, especially were in need because their society didn't have any social welfare. And so it was, it was important. This was an important thing that had to happen. Uh, but there's more going on here that uh, first meets the eye. Within the, within the church community, there was a complaint of injustice. And behind the complaint was the kind of social justice issues that are raised today. It's actually remarkably similar. Uh, you know, th- there was a humanitarian issue. The poor widows didn't have enough food. It was an issue of inequality between the two groups. Uh, with the identity marker being that of race. Uh, It's it's a race issue, right, between the Greek, that is Hellenistic uh, Jews, and the Hebrew Jews. Uh, Perhaps they were proposing a Hellenistic Jews Lives Matter 2 movement or hashtag Hellenistic Jew 2. Perhaps they had an International Hellenistic Jews Day to raise awareness Maybe they had to wear a blue shirt day to synagogue to raise awareness for the Hellenistic Jew cause. I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek here. I'm laboring the point, but I'm trying to help you to see that it's actually very similar, and I don't want to read our culture into, into the Bible, into this situation here, but there are a lot of similarities, uh, and so too with what's being uh, proposed here. There's an issue, there's a controversy, a problem which demands an answer. Uh, In verse 2, the 12 are summoned and they say, this is not right. What's the problem? What's the concern? Uh, Well, it's not the humanitarian or social issue. It's a concern about witnessing. The issue is that these things are in danger of preventing witnessing about the gospel. So read verse 2 with me. The 12 summoned the whole company of disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to handle financial matters. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the preaching ministry. So notice, uh, witnessing about Jesus, it's not the same thing as social justice. Rather, social justice was in danger of preventing witnessing. There's a contrast being made here, isn't there, in this passage between, uh, you know, what's called these matters uh, in verse 2 and then the prayer and preaching ministry in verse 4. You can't witness by opening a soup kitchen. It's, it's a different thing. You see there's a contrast here uh, between the ministry and, and the humanitarian, you know, in this case, feeding the widows. But witnessing is not, is not feeding people. Sometimes people try and argue that. We can, we can witness by, you know, doing a, a soup kitchen ministry, which is great. I've, I've done them in the past. I'm a big fan. But that's, we need to be clear that that's not the same thing as preaching and praying and, and witnessing and these other things. Witnessing is, is telling, speaking the word. 
It's saying that Jesus died and rose again and offers salvation. And so there's a kind of internal pressure here, a uh, pressure that you'll feel in your own life um, from other things, other good things, things which God cares a lot about, like feeding the poor and caring for the vulnerable. Let me be clear, I'm saying we do need to be doing these things. Uh, but these things, they can stop us from witnessing, from finding time for ministry of the Word. We want to help people, but our, our fallen... If you think about what's happening here a bit deeper, our fallen hearts, uh, we see the humanitarian need and our hearts bleed for it as it should. Um, but actually, we don't see that the, the greater need for this person is that they hear the Word, is that, that we witness to them. And so we... We can't not witness. We have to at least witness uh, and then do these other things as well. There's an internal uh, pressure also we feel as a church. It's uh, something that uh, we don't struggle with as much at Snack because we, uh, we're very focused on witnessing, uh, praise God. But there can be pressure uh, at churches to, to preach about social issues, environmental issues, um, People will say, oh, you know, we know, we know about Jesus already. Uh, why don't we preach about other important things? And it's a pressure because we care about the poor and injustices, uh, and the pressure then is to make church about that as well. But the solution in uh, Acts is proposed, and that is kind of to divide and conquer. Some appropriately gifted believers would focus on caring for these social issues, administration and finances, and some would focus on prayer and preaching. And you'll notice that's kind of how we've set up our church. We have a parish council. You probably don't, uh, not as aware of it here at Bexley North because Phil Colgan gathers them together. Once a month they meet and they think about finances and all those things. And there's a few of us from Bexley North that go along. Um, and there's lots of other ways. We've got lots of other um, roles here at Bexley North. People serve... Uh, in, this, in this way, to free up other people for preaching and prayer. Um, but obviously everyone needs to do a bit of everything. Like sometimes I clean the church toilets and I mow the grass, um, but we have a team of mowers, so I, I don't have to do it every week and in, instead can spend a good part of my week preparing to preach. Uh, you can see how this all plays out in our church. I mention this because it's not like there's a group within uh, the church. There's not a group of Christians that can say, I'm on administration duties, so I don't witness. Uh, Because you notice in verse 5, it says, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So they choose Stephen to be one of these administrators. Um, Well, two verses later, and we're going to read this passage next week, Stephen, the administrator, is witnessing, uh, and he's witnessing so effectively, uh, they, they stone him to death. It's, he, he's a martyr. He's, such is his witness. Uh, but my, my point is, everyone is witnessing. If you have the Spirit, you're a witnessing witness. All right, we made it. Final verse. Here we go. Uh, 6 verse 7. It says, So the preaching about God flourished. The number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. It's kind of a, a little summary, but what, what is this little note here doing but saying that because they focus on witnessing uh, and not these other things in preaching of the word, because of these things, the number of disciples grew. The effect of uh, witnessing and preaching, the outcome is that God grows his church. Acts teaches us 
that the cause of growth is witnessing and preaching prayer. And that is how God has chosen to make followers of Jesus uh, grow. This is, uh, this is how it's going to happen, by witnessing, by preaching with words, and by praying. And we need to care about the poor, the environment, inequality. We need to care about these things because God does. But we need to resist these internal and external pressures to care about these things more than we care about witnessing about Jesus. Let me pray for God's help in that. Well, Heavenly Father, quite simply, please give us your heart for the lost and suffering. Give us the spirit of boldness to proclaim in the face of pressures. In our Saviour Jesus' name we pray. Amen.